This is KYUK, public radio for the Yukon-Kuskokwim Delta. I'm Francisco Martinez-Cuello. The Yukon River's Chum and King Runs have returned at record lows the last three years. At a recent meeting, the Alaska Board of Fisheries debated a contentious proposal that would have reduced fishing time for a controversial and lucrative fishery along the Alaska Peninsula called Area M. The board ended up passing some restrictions on the fishery, but it's far short of what YK Delta residents were hoping for. And as KDLG's Izzy Ross reports, communities that depend on the area and fishery aren't happy either. People from across western Alaska testified in support of limiting fishing time in Area M, saying they haven't been able to feed their families or continue traditions since the chum runs collapsed in 2020. Tanya Ivan is from Russian Mission. She told the board they weren't asking to close the fishery, but rather spread restrictions more equally across the regions. Our subsistence needs have not been met. My smokehouse and freezer have not had fish in a few years, which means I wasn't able to teach my baby sister and daughters our traditional way of life. What we rely on during the winter, and especially during the Russian Orthodox Great Lent. The Alaska Board of Fisheries members were divided on reducing fishing time in Area M. Some pointed to the state's subsistence priority, while others cited the economic importance of the fishery. In the end, the board narrowly passed an amendment that restricts some fishing time in June and sets up tier reductions for the Purse Seine fleet based on the chum harvest. But it was far short of the sweeping restrictions YK Delta residents were hoping for. After the vote, most of the people in the audience walked out of the room in protest. Robert Walker is the first tribal chief of Anvik, a community on the Yukon River. It just canceled us, AYK tribal people right out. It's like we were um, a foreign country. And we just kind of like got up and left. Walker says the amendment ignored days of testimony from the region. But the Area M fishery is a vital part of the communities along the Alaska Peninsula and in the Aleutians. Alvin Osterback, mayor of the Aleutians East Borough, says harvest limits could mean a huge revenue hit for some of the communities there. By coming in and attacking us like this all the time, it's moving more and more of our families out of the area. And you can see it in the in the communities. They're just, people are leaving. He says it's tough to say exactly how this season will play out with the new limits. Area M South Peninsula was valued at over $33 million last year. In 2021, the average saner made around $700,000. Harvest caps can drive down the value of the fishery forcing fishermen to sell their permits. Kylie Thompson, president of the Area M Saners, says major cuts to that lucrative June fishery, which makes up a quarter of Area M's entire value, could put the fleet in jeopardy. Still, he says the new restrictions are workable. June is our steady, you know, high-value sockeye, kind of what everybody depends on. And without the June fishery, I mean, it would, that's the straw that breaks the camel's back for that region. The June fishery is so important because it's relatively stable. Meanwhile, people from western Alaska who asked for stronger restrictions in Area M are disillusioned with the state's system. Henry Hunter Sr. is the vice chairman of Arutsaharamut Native Council in Bethel. 
He's deeply disappointed in the board. He says it feels like the meeting was stacked against their region and that the board is prioritizing commercial interests over subsistence needs. They basically uh, support uh, uh, commercial fishing. Commercial fishing in the area is big business. They should be the ones that conserve and manage it for all Alaskans. Not only area and fishing, commercial fishing, but the subsistence users in the YK Delta. Hunter thinks the decision means the burden of conservation will continue to rest on people in western Alaska when it should be the board's responsibility to manage for everyone. With help from KUCB's Maggie Nelson, in Dillingham, I'm Izzy Ross. The Alaska House of Representatives passed a resolution to protect southeast Alaska's troll fishery on Wednesday, March 1st. House Joint Resolution 5 calls for state and federal agencies to defend Alaska's troll fisheries from a lawsuit that seeks to hold them accountable for the decline in killer whales in the Puget Sound area. The legislation passed on a 35-to-1 vote. Representative David Eastman, serving District 27 in Wasilla, was the only no vote. The complainant is the Wild Fish Conservancy, a conservation organization based in Washington. Their official position is that terminating Southeast King Salmon Troll Fishery might allow Chinook salmon to migrate back down the coast through key hunting grounds of the southern resident killer whales. The resolution to protect Alaska's troll fishery was introduced by freshman representative Rebecca Hemshute of Sitka, who sits on the House Special Committee on Fisheries. Many of the region's local governments have passed similar resolutions opposing the lawsuit, including Petersburg, Wrangell, Ketchikan, Sitka, and Juneau. Just 33 teams are signed up to run this year's Iditarod. It's the smallest group in the race's history. Mushers say there's a number of factors leading to the tiny pool of competitors. A major one is finances. Alaska Public Media's Lex Trainin reports on the issue and what organizers see as the solutions. Outside at his kennel in Knick, Iditarod musher Jason Mackey is assessing his dwindling supply of dog food. His freezer has just a few slabs of frozen salmon, There's a few boxes of frozen ground beef in the snow next to a few frozen whole king salmon. His kibble is almost gone, and he's not looking forward to a trip to the feed store. Not in this economy. 2004, I ran my first Iditarod. We paid $28 a bag for the red paw kibble that we feed today. And today, that bag of dog food is $68. Mackie is racing the Iditarod this year, but he says it's harder than ever to keep up with costs. Prices on kibble and beef have disproportionately shot up in the last few years, and salmon from the Yukon River have been harder to come by with recent fisheries closures. Mackey says he's been in the sport long enough to learn how to adapt. We go without so the dogs can go with, and that's just the lifestyle. But is that sort of self-sacrifice going to keep attracting mushers to Alaska's iconic thousand-mile sled dog race? The mushing community is divided over just how serious this year's low sign-up is for the future of the Iditarod. Fifteen years ago, nearly 100 mushers lined up for the start, compared to the record low 33 this year. Iditarod CEO Rob Urbach says he's not panicked yet. This year's a little bit of a strange year. We just had a number of people taking time off. We've had a number of people that have timed out. You know, we don't really think it's necessarily a trend. Five-time champion Dallas CV is sitting out this year's race to spend time with family, as are mushers Aaron Burmeister and former champion Yoar Olsum. There's also an older generation of mushers stepping away this year, like Jeff King, Martin Boozer, and Ali Zirkel. 
While CEO Erbach is hopeful for the race's future, he still says this year's low turnout is a wake-up call, and the Iditarod organization has some ideas for developing the next generation of mushers. He says the Iditarod plans to start a shorter race for younger mushers that starts at the same time as the 1,000-miler, and to help with costs, it's looking into organizing food-buying co-ops to help mushers save a few bucks on their kibble. Three-time race champion Mitch Seavey is sitting out this year's race to let his body recover, but he thinks the organization should be doing more. You know, it's no secret. The Iditarod has a $4 million budget. It makes me wonder why the, the purse isn't bigger and why the mushers aren't being supported. CV thinks the Iditarod should host monthly races to keep enthusiasm for the sport high throughout the winter and do more to grow the fan base. He also says increasing the prize purse would help, something last year's third-place finisher Jesse Holmes agrees with. It gives more opportunity for you know a professional musher to go out and race for purse money, which is huge. Holmes says that top mushers like himself will plan out their race seasons based on prize money. The Iditarod's total prize purse, divided among finishers, has held steady at about 500000 since 2018. It's about half of what it was 15 years ago, even without accounting for significant inflation. Erbach, the CEO, says the Iditarod hopes to boost the purse, but attracting new sponsors has been difficult. Several large corporate sponsors have pulled out in the last decade, some after they were pressured by animal rights groups who believe long-distance dog sled racing amounts to animal abuse. On top of that, the organization is dealing with its own cost increases. Inflation disproportionately hit us. You know, our supply chain costs have gone up 30 percent over the last 18 months, so it's pretty significant for us as well. One potential solution to help keep the Iditarod viable, he says, is state funding. He says he's in discussions with the state legislature to step in and help support the race financially and keep Alaska's state sports strong. Reporting in Anchorage, I'm Lex Trinan. This is KYUK News. I'm Francisco Martinez Cuello. Kuyana for listening. Please share your news tips, comments, or suggestions. You can email us at news at kyuk.org or message us on Facebook. And stay tuned for News Yuktun coming up.